0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in European Studies. I'm Tim Jones and I'm joined today by Tima Drenozzi and Agnieszka Bienkatsawa, co-authors of Illiberal Constitutionalism in Poland and Hungary, The Deterioration of Democracy, Misuse of Human Rights, and Abuse of the Rule of Law, published in September by Routledge. Over the past decade, Poland and Hungary have become laboratories for a new kind of government, proto-authoritarian regimes that still have regular elections, vibrant oppositions and external constraint from European law, norms and discretion in providing fiscal transfers. Hungary in particular has generated a comprehensive literature attempting to understand the special nature of the Orban regime. For example, I talked earlier in the year to Andres Koresheni and Gabor Schering about their attempts to categorise Orbanism. In their new book, Professors Drinozzi and Bian Katsawa redefine Orbán and Kaczynski models of government as a liberal constitutionalism by examining Polish and Hungarian history, identity, and Polish legal systems, as well as the influence of European rule of law. They are light on a definition of a new political phenomenon. Anieszka Bian Katsawa is Polish, uh, a law professor at the Nikolaus Cop- Copernicus University in Torun in Poland, and Timo Dronezzi, is a visiting professor at the law faculty at the Federal University of Minas Gerais in Brazil. She is Hungarian. Welcome both to the podcast.
1: Hello, Tim. Hello, everybody. Greetings from illiberal Poland.
2: (laughs) Hello, everybody. Hi, Tim. Uh, We are thrilled to be here talking about our new book. Thank you for the invitation.
0: I'm sorry for garbling your names, Um, but as I said in the introduction, there have been many attempts to define these regimes with a theoretical framework. What was it that made you dissatisfied enough with these to to write this new book?
2: Uh, Exactly. So many labels and expressions have emerged due to the many perspectives scholars have taken to understand the reasons and methods of the Hungarian and Polish democratic erosion. You just mentioned two of the books which you uh, have been talking about here. Uh, constitutional scholars already since the beginning tended to identify the remodeled Hungarian and Polish constitutional systems as authoritarianism and modern authoritarianism. However, when you think about the last 11 and uh, 6 years, you realize that the illiberalization process has been peaceful, gradual and continuous in substantive constitutional democracies and less severe than in those states like Turkey and Russia with which scholars compare the Hungarian and Polish events. This contradiction increased our interest and we assumed that we would better understand the changes if we considered these factors like, you know, peacefulness, gradualness. For that... We needed to study at least three more or less neglected aspects of the deterioration. I mean, in Hungary and Poland. The first was the regional context, which is the EU and the Council of Europe in which Hungary and Poland exist and the peacefulness and gradualness of the illiberalization process, as I said. We found the second aspect of the deterioration in the constitutional identity of Poles and Hungarians. The third understudied aspect of understanding this kind of deterioration Hungary and Poland face is the possibility of disentangling liberalism and constitutionalism. It is not an unprecedented scholarly endeavor, neither in te- theory nor practice. Just think about the idea of neoliberal constitutionalism and how scholars describe, describe Israel like semi liberal constitutionalism or Singapore like authoritarian constitutionalism and Hong Kong as mixed constitutionalism.
0: So at, at the heart of your book is the concept of illiberal constitutionalism. Can can you take us through the concept in some detail?
1: Yes, thank you for this questions. Uh, question. In, uh, in the book, reflecting on the regional context, gradualness, methods and content of changes, uh, the mm, tangible differences between Hungary and Poland and the real authoritarian states, and taking a holistic view on different indices, we developed the concept of illiberal constitutionalism. In our view... Uh, Illiberal constitutionalism is a stage in the process of authoritarianization of the EU member state, which we call illiberalization of constitutionalism. It is done mainly in the post-socialist region that has been hit by autocrat populist leaders in the second decade of the 21st century. They have brought about the deterioration of constitutional democracy and the hollowing out of its uh, components. The gradualness of the deterioration and the embeddedness of the EU law and human rights commitments in the daily adjudication of law have kept these states from turning to modern authoritarianism. This phenomenon uh, constitutes... One element of the concept of illiberal constitutionalism. On the other hand, we propose that the normative appeal of the regime for the population could find its roots more in an unbalanced constitutional identity that longs for a charismatic leader than in a particular political philosophy. Consequently, it is also suggested that this appeal could be satisfied by the application of the patchwork of ideologies insofar as they can be invoked by a charismatic leader for satisfying the current emotional needs of the polity. This in turn allows the regime to form the constitutive features of illiberal constitutionalism, which are illiberal legality, illiberal democracy and uh, the third and uh, last uh, uh, element, illiberalization of human rights.
0: Yeah, you you talk um, in the book about um, the sort of I- the external constraints coming from the EU and from the Council of Europe, but um, Turkey and Russia are both members of the Council of Europe. So is it is it? Do you think fundamentally it's the EU that? that makes these regimes different, uh, more fettered, more constrained?
1: Yes, it is. And the particular value uh, that characterizes the European development uh, and fit better to the development of the constitutional democracy and by extension to the European uh, Union. The membership in supranational community creates more legal, political, and financial constraint on public power within its member states. Uh, Hungary and Poland are member states of the EU, which notwithstanding its failures, imposes a particular, uh, albeit rather weak, internal constraint on the political leadership in both countries. The constraint is internal, and not like in Turkey or Russia. Uh, It it is internal as integration options are included in the constitution of both states, Hungary and Poland and other member states uh, in the regions especially. Uh, But it's uh, legally built on the EU treaty that provides for crucial mechanism of the protection of the EU values uh, that are safeguarded by uh, the, the court of justice of the European Union and for us uh, this is uh, the element gr- crucial element for that
0: yeah and, and and you you talk in the book about your uh, concept of European rule of law all in capital letters as distinct from rule of law as such can can you can you take us through that that concept, what is distinctive about it?
2: Yes, uh, actually, uh, we wanted to assess the rule of law deterioration in Hungary and Poland. So for that, we needed to establish a benchmark. However, the concept of the rule of law is contested and it is context-related and perspective-dependent. So we tried to develop the term of the European rule of law because we believe that social reality and constitutional changes cannot necessarily be squeezed into our existing set of terms. So you know there are many concepts about the rule of law, the ethic and procedural, mm, yeah. whatever. So we, we 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 thought that it is not enough for us when we really want to, to have a look at what is going on in Hungary and Poland in terms of rule of law. So for us, the rule of law—the sorry for us—the European rule of law represents a thicker understanding of the rule of law that has emerged throughout history as a common European heritage value and principle, which covers the EU and the Council of Europe as well. It comprises a particular political theory which demands the prevention of any arbitrary use of power with all its necessary preconditions and implementation mechanisms. It also means a legally enforceable concept that is present in the national constitutions and the European legal order. Right now, I'm obviously talking about the EU. This is both the European and domestic arenas. The European rule of law requires the domestic law to bear some specific content, which would make it a good domestic law, informed by the political agenda and decisions reached by the EU, intrinsically its member states. It is a limitation on the domestic political decision maker because there is another positive law, so the EU law, that the holder of the domestic lawmaking power cannot manipulate. No domestic populist leader can hijack the EU law and lawmaking process in the same way they might with their national legislation. So once we had the benchmark, which we called the European rule of law, and uh, with this content that I just explained, we could assess the Hungarian and Polish rule of law situation, which we called illiberal legality, which is a nationalistic and over-politicized conceptualization of the European rule of law. It emphasizes, so illiberal legality emphasizes the instrumental and opportunistic use of the law in both legislation and the application of the law, obviously, at national level. Illiberal legality retains formal legality, which is part of each thing concept of the rule of law and extends to the application and enforcement of the EU law. I hope that I could have, you know, explain it uh, in a more clearer way for you to understand our concept about uh, or the concept of European rule of law.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I'd like to, and this is probably for you as well, uh, Tomei, as the, as the Hungarian in the room, but um, I'd like to focus a little bit on, on urbanism. And it, as you write, you describe it as the temptation of authoritarianism, but not the real thing. Um, now, Unlike Poland, which is a few years away from uh, an election, hu- Hungary's coming up to an election uh, early next year, how confident are you that he has not gone full authoritarian at this stage and, and that if he loses narrowly, that he would, uh, he would stand down? Has he captured enough of the state uh, that unlike Trump, that, that Orbán could actually get away with it?
2: Uh, Yeah, so, yeah, it is for me. (laughs) Gunther uh, Frankenberg used this expression, uh, temptation of authoritarianism, to describe the urban regime. He views authoritarianism as a wide range of autocratic practices that create regimes of governance and marks the distinguishing elements of authoritarian constitutionalism. Now we are talking about illiberal constitutionalism, but authoritarian constitutionalism include authoritarian political technology and and constitutional opportunism, power as uh, private property, participation as uh, complicity, and culture of immediacy. Uh, So in his co-edited book entitled Authoritarian Constitutionalism from, from 2019, Frankenberg uses the expression of temptation of authoritarianism, and we say in the book that we agree with him. Uh, I cannot predict, obviously, what Orban will do if he loses narrowly. But what is sure is that the system will stand and will make it challenging for the opposition to go, to govern, which in turn could give Orban a great opportunity to return in 2026. So um, full authoritarianism, uh, I think, could mean that he would not uh, uh, let let it go. He would not take a a, a defeat. But it it uh, would not give him a chance to, as I said, to return victoriously after the after this four year of unsuccessful government governance of the opposition. And why it would be unsuccessful? Probably because they would not have enough majority in the parliament to redo all the reforms which uh, this illiberal government uh, made in the last eleven years.
0: Yeah, and I mean on that score. Um he, he has a disadvantage, too, in that even if he wins next year, he is going to lose his supermajority, which is the one thing that has allowed him to to, to be yeah. active in constitution-making. Do, do, do you think that um, if he wins by a small majority and he loses that, that constitution-making ability, that, that there could even be a rolling back of, of uh, some of the measures of the last 10 years? Uh,
2: We don't really think so. As I said, the system is already consolidated. Uh, The opposition parties could change it if they won with a constitutional majority, which is unlikely. With a simple majority, the opposition can hardly redo anything, as I mean, because everything is already done uh, and uh, consolidated. So they must try to govern within the constitutional and institutional framework the Orba regime has created. In this scenario, Orbán will probably use the Polish way of the liberal constitutionalism advancement with informal constitutional changes and with the support of the captured constitutional court. We need to remember that it was the scenario when Orbán lost the constitutional majority in the past for a couple of months and the constitutional court helped him with the invention of the notion of constitutional identity of Hungary. And until this notion of constitutional identity of Hungary found its way to the Hungarian constitution, it was an informal constitutional amendment by constitutional interpretation. And this is the the tactic or the technique uh, Poland, I mean, uh, the Polish leaders uh, use because they don't have constitutional majority, but they reinterpret or the constitutional tribunal reinterpret the constitution and so have the, the peace party to create this illiberal system.
0: Uh, that is really <laughs> depressing yeah. and interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, in fact, speaking of identities, your, your chapter on the historic identities of the countries uh, themselves is really fascinating yeah. for, for an outsider. Um you talk about their unbalanced constitutional identity and a collective victimhood and narcissism and and an underlying desire for a strong man. Could, could you could you take listeners through through that chapter and your argument?
1: Yes, yes, it was really fascinating to research that problem. And in the, what we find out that the unbalanced constitutional identity has been molded throughout Polish and Hungarian history uh, in which emotional threats of collective victimhood and collective narcissism and uh, the accompanying resentment plus a longing for a a charismatic leader emerged. Uh, Our state or this state of uh, emotion uh, could easily and quickly be intensified and exploited by uh, our populist political leaders. Uh, These feelings and the populist politics, based on them, uh, are why the current populist autocrats uh, emphasize and trigger, and at the same time are dependent upon, and currently a grandalized feature of the constitutional identity of Poles and Hungarians. Uh, uh, our leaders, like Hungarian and Polish leaders, have exploited uh, the emotional needs of their compatriots, like Poles and Hungarians, and used uh, different techniques to gain political support for Remodeling of constitutional settings. Uh, this support seemed to be stable because it originates from a historically shaped value orientation connected with uh, the group identification so widely shared by Hungarian and Poles. Uh, These emotions also explain the fact that Hungary and Poland are the most renegade members of the European uh, Union and why the European Union seems not to be entirely successful in adequately addressing uh, populist and illiberal uh, leaders. Uh, Historically, The coincidence of historical moment of unbalanced identity and uh, the emergence of an illiberal and charismatic leader has shown more durability in Hungary and Poland than the liberal constitutional period after the transition. It might be assumed that there is a historically held belief and applied practice that these countries are better run if there is a charismatic leader whose charisma is more important than their ideology due to this unbalanced constitutional identity. Uh, But uh, for the ideology, we would say that we need uh, more time and it requires further uh, research and uh, study to establish uh, the basis of uh, this ideology, and yes, to to get knowledge if it is uh, it exists or or not.
0: Yeah. Well, w- one point you make, and it, it may be linked partly to that argument, is that while both countries have oppositions the bulk of the population are not strongly opposed they're, they're basically comfortable in their positions. Do, do you think part of that can be explained by what you just described uh, sort of national identity but also it's because the while the EU uh, provides a constraint pr- provides a fetter on the regimes, it also provides a deep economic cushion uh, for policies that would otherwise be punished by markets
1: mm. uh, well. Uh, We think that the population is just comfortable with the system. Consideration of the rule of law and independence of uh, judiciary, human rights, equality, and human dignity are not the most important factors uh, in their lives. Uh, One of the reasons could be the particular value orientation we mentioned which uh, features a more hierarchical way of uh, thinking and a high degree of respect of authority. As it is not authoritarian system, illiberal constitutionalism is not oppressive enough to make the people revolt because they have lost a right or an entitlement. When people feel really oppressed or oppressed enough, they revolt. They march on the streets, they do demonstrate. Just think about the abortion protests in Poland last year or the march of the judges uh, even before. Mm. On the other hand, uh, they cannot really achieve anything. They cannot make a change. There is also a certain nostalgic feeling for socialism, which is a kind of being taken care of by the states and the lack of uh, responsibility for um, our individual decisions. And we think that uh, this is the economic considerations of people. So they are okay with uh, what they have financial support from the states, such as tax allowances or the family support programs, which in Poland is uh, uh, probably, you know, this uh, 500 plus program, which mm. creates really uh, dependent uh, voters.
0: I, I, I mean, you point out in the book that the oppositions in both countries have been split until now. Um that That is no longer the case in Hungary, uh, at least on paper. But do you think that this childcare, uh, I mean, that's a nice way of putting it, but this childcare mm-hmm. referendum will, will divide uh, Jobbik from the rest of the parties? And, and is there any sign of the Polish opposition creating a united front, or is is the rise of this um, a former TV star actually dividing the the opposition to the Law and Justice Party?
2: I think it's a really good point and question, and uh, it uh, it could be, yes, that the opposition is more united now than before in Hungary. But to my knowledge, they do not yet have a unified and detailed electoral and governmental program which they could offer to the voters for the election next spring. They are busy with the pre-election, and they are looking for the best candidate for the prime minister position which is not a directly elected position in the Hungarian parliamentary governmental system. So for me, as a citizen and as a voter, the problem would not be whether or not the so-called childcare referendum would divide Jobbik from the rest of the parties, but the lack of a coherent programme. It is reported that the candidate for the prime minister position selected in this pre-election scheme would say the final word on the program of the opposition. So it means to me that the basis of the cooperation is the person and not principles or values. And I think that now uh, Agnieszka would uh, want yes, to, yes. to say something to, to this.
1: Yes, yeah, so in Poland, United Opposition won the majority in the Senate and lately in the t- uh, traditional nest of Peace, Law and Justice Party, at the city of Zeshov, yes, local government. Mm. But they couldn't agree for Ombudsman candidate and they lost media law in the same. The opposition Mm. was not united in the presidential election last year. Uh, So it may mean that we still have genuine uh, electoral play and competition. But on the other hand, uh, it may be also the issue of looking for a strong autocratic leader within the opposition, because we have many uh, uh, bigger or smaller uh, opposition parties, but they are looking for... Uh, someone who will lead the opposition. And this is connected with this autocratic leader. And uh, uh, it is the case also in Hungary. And we can say that uh, this is the case in our histories, like Polish and Hungarian history. So this is uh, the situation with opposition. Mm.
0: Just another question on Poland, which Mm -hmm. is um, the the recent uh backing down by kaczynski uh in his standoff with the eu over judicial reform um isn 't it always going to be his problem and this applies to both countries actually but uh p- perhaps more to poland isn 't it his always it always his problem that while enough Poles may enjoy a fight with Brussels, a genuine rupture you know a a pole exit or a mm-hmm. hunks it Uh, would be deeply unpopular, and and the governments there know that, so they will always eventually back down.
1: Um, Well, (laughs) Kaczynski may stop for a while and remodel the judiciary, because this is uh, the case, yes. Uh, He may remodel the judiciary a little bit to avoid paying fines, for example. According to government, some steps have already been taken by the first president of the Supreme Court. Uh, The new disciplinary cases will be decided by other chambers of the Supreme Court and not uh, this disciplinary chamber. Uh, Even the government mentioned that uh, the disciplinary chamber will, will be dissolved and the new uh, legislation on the ju- judiciary will be prepared. But my opinion, uh, the new leg- legislation most probably will devastate judicial independence even more. So I am not sure that the last step uh, in connect- uh, is connected uh, with the pro-European attitude of Poles. Uh, we have to remember that you mentioned the Brexit that Brits were pro-European some years before Brexit and anti-EU slogans generated the win in the referendum. And this is why we need to be aware of that and we uh, should be careful with the assessment of the level of popularity of the European Union within the uh, Polish population. Now it might be high, but after years of uh, anti-EU slogans, uh, might be uh lower
0: yeah i, I think um, maybe the difference though is that almost from day one the british have been net contributors to the eu budgets and and poland mm-hmm. and hungary are net recipients particularly now with the with the next generation eu uh budget program so yeah. it, yes I, I i i take your point but it Self-interest yeah, yeah, argues that, the other way. I feel <laughs>
1: that uh, yeah, our government may sacrifice some mm. uh, financial support for other reasons, like developing the judiciary remodeling. Because I I don't want to use uh, uh, the yeah reform because it is not the point here. Mm. And this is from, from the
2: perspective of Hungary. Orban uh, is looking for, for support, financial support from elsewhere too. And another mm. point I would make is that there is a game here uh, which they are, they are uh, playing. This is the uh, pushing the envelope. So they, they go as far as they think they can go. With the European Union, and they back off a little bit, and then the EU is saying that okay, fine, now I'm a little bit more satisfied. But then at the end of the day, yeah. uh, the deterioration keeps continuing, and and that is uh, uh, actually bad for the European Union. So as far mm. as as far as, as long as they are partnering in this game, uh, it is uh, also detrimental for the entire European community. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, in fact, you you end the book. I think it's the last sentence says you you warn that the EU's actions will reveal quote whether the whole is indeed greater than its parts, or instead that the chain is simply no stronger than its weakest link. End quote. So how how ultimately tough do you think the EU should be with these governments? And if it came to it, if 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 it, you know, if they if they pushed beyond the envelope, uh, as you put it. Um, Do you you think the existing, the other EU states should consider creating a union within the union and and essentially leaving Poland and Hungary behind?
2: Um, Yeah, leaving uh, Hungary and Poland behind would be the best for the EU, its values and integrity. But it would be the worst for Poles and Hungarians. As yeah. for now, they are pro-European and do not want to be abandoned by the European nations once again, as they feel to be abandoned historically. Uh, but yeah. you, I don't think that we can un, we cannot afford ourselves to underestimate the power of propaganda. And now mm. uh, the media, uh, in, both in Hungary and Poland, is in a really bad shape. But we cannot mm. predict the future, obviously. Um, So, what? uh, just answering to to this question uh, further, so the EU is not only about values and harmonized or unified legal measures, but also about economic interest and investments accompanied with political considerations. So, uh, we think that the EU should decide which is more important for it, which direction it wants to evolve. And when it figured it out, it can start looking for what kind of political and legal ways are the best to accomplish its, uh, its goal. So I, I mean, we, we cannot give a, obviously a, a definite answer to, to this question, what the EU should do. Uh, they, they need to come to an understanding about its own future. And then when they have a, a vision, then, then they, they could find a way how to address Poland and Hungary or how to try to prevent uh, this situation happening in in the future with other member states.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, their their continued presence, um, as long as they continue to behave in this way, makes them an an example to others. Do, Do you think there are other EU countries that would be vulnerable to this type of illiberal constitutionalism?
1: Um. Well, uh, (laughs) yes, uh, (laughs) as we said, liberal constitutionalism could emerge in the member states of the European Union, yes. And uh, 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 in the era of democratic decay, countries that share similar historical backgrounds, emotional traditions and value orientations as Hungarians and Poles could be viewed as an easy target for populist, autocrat, autocrat and illiberal political leaders. So uh, we don't want to name those countries, uh, <laughs> but want to describe uh, uh, environment or uh, the elements uh, that create this environment and uh, push or... Uh, Yes, create and target, uh, good target for populist autocrat and liberal uh, illiberal leaders.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well I hope nobody reads your book as a handbook. It was not written
1: that way. <laughs> so this is the warning. Our book is really the warning.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, um as usual to to finish the interview, I've asked both of my guests to recommend uh, some books of their own. What, what, does, what did you both choose?
2: Uh, so, um, thank, thank you so much for this interview and this opportunity and the invitation to recommend uh, two books to the listeners. And um, we understand that one should be from our field of expertise and the other should be a personal choice. But if, as, if
0: you can, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: But, <laughs> you know, we are uh, here, two of us, uh, from with you today from Hungary and Poland. And so we would like to recommend one Hungarian and one Polish author from okay. whom yeah. we got a lot of inspiration during our research. And so the first book we would recommend is Poland's Constitutional Breakdown, written by uh, Wojciech Sadurski and published by the Oxford University Press in 2019. And the other is the book of uh, András László Pop, entitled Democratic Decay in Hungary, published by Rutledge in uh, 2017, which discusses the, the constituted and the conceptualized relationship between the state and its citizens, because we think that from a professional um, point of view, uh, if, if a reader could have a chance and time to read this book uh, like uh, together, uh, they would get a really nice and depressing picture about the Hungarian and <laughs> yeah. Polish constitutional uh, history, reality, law and theory.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for your choices. And today I've been talking to Timo Dranozzi and Inieszka Bienkatsowa about their book Illiberal Constitutionalism in Poland and Hungary. Thank you both for coming on.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.